Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a listen. Today's podcast stars all-time great Nitty Lion, Salima Rockwell. We discuss everything from her following her brother's footsteps to becoming a volleyball player, her journey at Penn State, and the national team. Her brief stint at Oregon State before returning to her alma mater, being a part of the Penn State dynasty and what coaching those athletes was like, then leaving to coach at UT Austin, and then returning to continue the dynasty at Penn State. Salima also talks about her new career as one of the directors at Austin Juniors Volleyball Club and being an announcer for the up-and-coming Athletes Unlimited Professional Volleyball League. Check it out. Well, welcome to our podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. You are very welcome. Well, the the way we usually get it started is just how did you how did you get into volleyball from the get go? Oh man, well i I started playing volleyball actually because my brother played. Uh, so back in in Pennsylvania in Western PA, um, I think before a lot of places had had boys volleyball or high school volleyball it was still it was pretty strong at the time and my brother kind of stumbled on it in um you know walking through the gym one day fell in love with it and you know I wanted to do everything that he did so um I I decided I wanted to play and we would start peppering in the driveway and doing all of our stuff that we do and get made fun of by every single person in our neighborhood because they were like they didn't even understand what we were doing um so yeah that's kind of how it started he his love for it and became my love for it and yeah that's how it happened the complete opposite of every other story that we've heard yeah it's always it's always this big sister gets the brother into it yep and it, it's like i said it's so different and weird and what like we're from pittsburgh pennsylvania and um a lot of the Western PA guys, uh, the Pittsburgh guys, and, you know, they ended up playing at either Penn State or Mason or, you know, it was a pretty strong hotbed, kind of that New York and Pennsylvania area yeah. uh, growing up. So even for him, when he walked in the gym and he was like, holy crap, just watching these guys bouncing balls um, and, you know, didn't think he'd be interested at all and fell in love with it. And he was a setter. And that's what that's what I turned into. This is so great. What an enlightening experience to have a female fall in women's. That's incredible. I would never. It's cool. Ever happened yeah. aside from California. Yeah, no, for real, for sure. And he, he said he went to Penn state. He played for a little bit as well there until um, he got hurt. He had a major back injury, um, but he sat behind Javier Gaspar. Like, so he was in that kind of time frame with, Chase and Bittner and those guys. It was yeah. a sick team. Yeah. Yeah, not bad at all. So then mm-hmm. how did did you guys play at the same club? Was it both boys and girls at the same club or was it two different clubs or how did it work back then? Oh well it was it was barely club, right? So I played and you're gonna love this. I played for a club called Willow Pond. We were the piranhas. So <laughs> there was that. Uh it was the first club in Pittsburgh. So did he eat? Yeah, he played for them for a year, but really it was all high school volleyball for the, for the boys at least. Right. So I'm, I'm three grades younger than him. So I played for Willow Pond and then it was golden triangles and it just kind of morphed from there, but that was really when it started in 80, whatever year that was, I'm old. Oh my gosh. 80 something, 88. 87 something like that 
there you go. That is such a trip. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? I know. No, not the the uh, how old you are is not a trip, but uh, oh, that's good. No, <laughs> what's a, what's a trip is that everybody back in the day it was all high school, and then probably right. around Jackson and I's ed- generation. It started morphing into all club and you couldn't get recognized unless you were playing club. And for yep. the guys, it happened way later than the girls. And right. now everything is club. Yep. High school means nothing. 100%. I mean, and for me, like even our club experience, like when it started, I played in East Coast Championships and yeah. Ohio Valley Regionals. It's not like we had exposure, really. It was a couple of tournaments. So it was more, yeah, the high schools and the college coaches would be at the high school games and um, and then word of mouth and, you know, just a totally different animal. And like you said, now it's it's all club. Salima, did you play any other sports? I did. I did. I, I ran track when I was a little younger, but I played basketball. I, I got roped into – it was one of those things where they were, like, always trying to get me to play, and I just – I didn't want to because they were – I don't know, because they thought I should, because <laughs> I'm stupid. Um, so I ended up playing a couple of years in high school. We won a state championship. I was the, the Rodman, just rebounding. That's all I could do. I'm like, don't shoot. I could turn around maybe and shoot a jumper, but that was, that was about it. I, I knew my role. Um, so everyone on my team, my basketball team, we were really good. Penn Hills High School, um, they all played Division One basketball. And I was the forward kind of just, just boxing people out and rebounding. <laughs> did you, so wait, did you have the whole, your the same coach growing up your entire, I guess, club career or high school career? High school, yes. And, and he was the men, the boys and the girls coach. His name is Dan Brown. And I, I'm thrilled to give a shout out. He's one of the legendary coaches uh, in that area. So Dan Brown, yeah, he, and that's what happened even when I, I was a hitter. I wasn't good. I was okay. But um, he coached my brother. And that's why when um, our setter ended up moving for personal reasons or whatever before the season, my sophomore year. And he's like, well, your brother sets, so you can set. And that's literally how it happened. (laughs) I feel that's how every setter ends up setting. Nobody makes the active choice to give up every other skill. And everybody says, well, you're pretty good at all the skills. Yep. So you should set for us because we kind of need it. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and really, especially back then, I think it was way more about athleticism, running an offense, you know, whatever, you know, just kind of being able to lead, having good all around skills and IQ. Um, so, I mean, I was terrified. I was like, I mean, I can set, like I have the ability, but I got super lucky that it came naturally. And you know what I mean? I, I was fortunate. So Jackson, you were thinking the exact same thing. I'm thinking, ask that question. Like, especially back when they called doubles, like you had to have really good hands. <laughs> And you just get thrown into it. Super clean hands. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it was it was all my brother. I, I'm, I'm going to give him all the, the props in the world. And of course, my coach but helped. But when we were at home, I just watched him. So my I had soft hands. Like, I had control. I could kind of move the ball around. Yeah, double, that wasn't a thing. Like, that wasn't happening. I'm, For sure. It's really interesting that you say – Side out era was more about athleticism in the setting position and running an offense and all these things. When it feels like as time has developed, it jump setting is obviously more prominent now. Running a faster offense is around all bases, not just out of the middle of the court and running, you know. Yeah. Serving, serving is more athletic now. Do you think think the setting position has really changed that much in the last 40 years, the mind of a setter and everything, or do you think everybody else is developing more? Well, I, I think, Oh, can you hear me? Okay. Sorry. There was an echo. So I think 
couple of things. So when I say that, I've seen it from a, a college coaching perspective from, you know, for the last and watch has become. I'm saying this more as a sweeping, huge generalization that it, it started to turn into a smaller and, you know, smaller kids because we need the big kids to hit. She's the only one that can side out. These position which needs someone that can put the ball in the air. But with that said, the elite level or the top setters, you know, you're seeing at an exponential growth of, I think, of athleticism, height, um, IQ, right? But overall, you know, the setting, and I'm always, I, I give clinics and talk about this all the time. Like coaches, we got to just stop putting the small kid because you need a person in that position as a setter. And, yeah. and so it, that's pretty pervasive across the board. Um, but then the, the elite ones, you're going to see, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I, what I meant. Um, but yeah. certainly there's setters way more athletic and bigger, smarter, stronger, faster than I was at the time. Um, you know, I looked at some of the ones I coached. I mean, Alicia Glass and you're looking, I mean, there's so many that are just incredible athletes, but they were, they were in the right spot. They were, you know, coaches saw the right thing in them, um, identified the right, intangibles and ingredients to make a great setter setter and then those are the ones that are setting our national teams and the top collegiate setters that's what you're saying yeah but you know you make a really good point there are a lot more pure there's a lot more pure everything than there was even 15 years ago there yeah that many pure middles and not a lot of pure setters the libero position is fairly new in our game in all honesty right so, yeah, it's just more, I guess, yeah, people are just specializing now, which is really weird. It, it is weird. And it, depending on who you ask, you know, it's good and bad, right? So you've got some middles that have never served or played back row and these elite level uh, opposites. And with, you know, in the college game with 15 subs, you know, that's that for some when they're trying to go pro or play on the national team, you know, that's a big, that sets them back a little bit. Right. So, um, and even, even in club, but it's, it's hard because you can specialize so you can maximize every position, right. So you can win. It's kind of the here and now we can, so it's got, you know, it's got his benefits and it's drawbacks really. You see these elite setters because of these elite middles, like you said, but then in some cases, I mean, there's some people that haven't done certain just because they're not training it. You're at Austin Juniors right now, right? I am. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in your guys' gym, do you guys combat that by trying to train all skills with each player? Yes. I mean, so we try – and you, you try your best to do it, right, with your limited time. That's the other thing about club, right? You're limited with how many hours you're in the gym, how much time you actually have with people. So what – you know, what are we trying to accomplish, right, in this amount of time? So the balance is training as much of that as you can in generalized skilled drills uh, during practice, you know, and then doing what you need to do during the games, of course. And what you're going to see is a lot of people doing private lessons, getting extra reps um, to to kind of fine-tune all of those skills. But, but yeah, I mean, we, we tell, we, we try not to specialize at early ages with liberos and middles. Like you see that a lot of places, you're going to see that 12s and 13s. And, and if you can establish those skills early, I mean, that's kind of the philosophy is, is early on, get them as well-rounded as possible. And then, you know, trying to find that balance of when you need them to, to really fine-tune that and when you can let go of that a little bit. Makes sense. I mean, that's how you create the Amy Neals. That of the makes world. sense. Right? That's, that's, that would be every coach's dream. Dude. Yeah. But then you know, we're about to play next weekend and it doesn't in our, in this moment in time, it doesn't help me to have the middles passed right now. Right. That's not going to, it'll serve her. It'll serve her well. If she ends up being a pin or an opposite in college, 
just in general, absolutely. But it's, it's a tough balance sometimes. I can imagine. I, I mean, I'm pretty far off from the women's game, but it's happening in the men's game too, especially I think recruiting puts a lot of pressure on directors and coaches of top tier clubs to specialize as well. I could be totally wrong here, but that's kind of what it feels like because it's happening at such a young age that they want these kids to develop those skills at that position, not at other positions, because that's what they're recruiting them at. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's some of that. I, I would say yes. Um, I would also say just the the perception to um, from maybe families and parents and what do their kids need to do. Um, you know, there's so many factors involved. There's so many pieces uh, that are a part of the equation. But um, but yes, I would I would say, and you see it. You know, you're watching the collegiate game. You're like, okay, this is what I need to do, or this is what um, this is what my position does at the next level. And again, with, with so many subs, you know, you're not seeing what, um, yeah, you're not seeing some of that. So anyway, there you go. That's my take. <laughs> well, I, I want to go back in time a little bit. Um, so we talked about high school a little bit, how you started, but was the Penn state decision because your brother went there as well? Well, it was, it was definitely a part of it. Um, I, I kind of was thinking, you know, maybe I'd want my own identity at that point, right? Because you didn't make a decision until you were a senior in high school. I wasn't committing when I was a sophomore or anything like that. So, so we had time and I was like, I'm going to go on all my official visits and see what else is out there and see if I can make, you know, kind of create my own story. But with that said, uh, being where I'm from, you're either a Pitt or Penn State uh, person. And I was a diehard Penn State anyway. So I kind of always knew. I ended up going uh, to Georgia on a visit. And then I shut down a few others. And I was like, you know what? This doesn't even make sense. And my mom was like, let's go. Let's go see the world. Let's go see the country. And I'm like, mom, stop. We're not doing it. So, so funny. She's hilarious. Um, but so I kind of always knew in the back of my head that that's where I would end up. So it was, it was my dream. That's pretty rad. How, yeah. was, how was playing for Russ back then? Cause obviously we coached for him. So what was it like walking into his gym as a freshman? <laughs> I don't know if I should say terrifying out loud, but a little nerve wracking. Um, it's, um, you know, it was one of those programs. He, he's one of those guys. If you don't know him, he's hilarious. He's funny. He's cool. He cares about his athletes, all of those things, but he's also absolutely no joke when it comes to training. Yeah. So as soon as you walk in the, in the gym, uh, through those doors of, uh, South gym, um, it's, it's on. So, and, and I think the culture, because he's one of those coaches that have been there for so long, that, that culture just exists, right? It's been carried down by, by the upperclassmen. You just knew what to expect. This is how hard we work. This is what it takes. Um, so you walk in the gym and it's an era of like, we're getting it done. And, um, so it was, it was awesome playing for him. It was awesome because, because you learned, you learned how to be tough. You learned how to problem solve. You learned how to do things on your own and work hard and, um, you know, things that you don't always get everywhere. And, and back then he could push us <laughs> and really push, 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 <laughs> which, you know, was hard at times. <laughs> probably worth it in the end uh, definitely worth it in the end I mean I, I think you talk to anybody and I, I think it's it's one of those things when you when you trust your coach and, and they have that relationship with you which he did with everyone you know he was one of those open doors people would come in between classes and just chat with him and talk to him about stuff and kind of get advice on just whatever and I think when you establish that which you know, he had the ability to do, then when you're pushed, you understand where it's coming from, yeah. right? You know, it's coming from a good place of, we want to be great. I want you to be good. I want you to learn how to do this. And it's, uh, there's less pushback on it. So. For sure. Yeah. Do 
do you remember obviously you're terrified your freshman year and do you remember each year how you evolved not not necessarily as a volleyball athlete because obviously you get better just with time and reps and getting physical but mentally do you remember how much easier each preseason like preseason would get no <laughs> preseason never got easier now that's a joke but uh i mean it's not a joke uh but i do remember yes of course well and you understood the expectations a little bit better you knew what you needed to do in the summer or on your own to to be in shape so and remember if we're talking preseason specifically that back then that was to get you in shape you yeah. weren't work working a million camps you weren't like able to work with a strength coach like none of that stuff so it was like crush them so we're ready to play so we're in shape <laughs> in two weeks <laughs> so but I do remember um I mean I do remember I think it may have been my first match or one of my first matches and it was a quote in the paper and he was like not only do I not know what Lima's gonna do Lima doesn't know what Lima's going to do. <laughs> he was not wrong. And that was my, and I registered, I registered in my freshman year, which was huge for me. Um, I sat behind Michelle Jaworski. So she was an All-American, probably three-time All-American at Penn State. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to, to see how things work and see how, you know, just kind of get the lay of the land. But I do remember year to year, and, and of course, as you, as you prove and show how hard you work, that relationship shifts and changes and becomes closer and um, makes it uh, things a little more fun in the gym. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I just understood it better. And then it just became, this is what we do. I, you know, we were on autopilot pilot by my junior year, you know, yeah, and teaching the young ones what to do. Yeah, because Courtney Thompson came on and she was saying that she walked into the UW gym her first day. And was it, Jackson, was it Carl that came up to her after her first week and asked Jim? She asked, yeah, he he took his arm around her and went up to Jim and said, she knows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Courtney was just flabbergasted because she had no idea what was going on. She was just going in as a freshman, doing the absolute best she could. And their information, information, information when J Mac was there. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I'm going to take a wild guess and say your freshman year was probably pretty. Everyone's freshman year when you play is a nightmare because you, oh. you don't know the terminology, you don't know the vernacular, you don't understand nope. the physicality of it. You just walk in and you hope to God you do pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's such a, a difference then and now. I mean, and it, it's still real, but, you know, I, now I, I was going in like, God, I hope I don't play right now. <laughs> this, this, this will not be good for anyone. And now player, everyone just wants to play. And no one wants the red shirt. And I'm like, come on, people. Let's, uh, let's be real here. We don't, we don't know what we don't know. And and, and, and again, back then, it's so many programs, right? With, with Nebraska under Pettit and Hawaii under Shoji and so many programs, storied programs that um, were just like that. You know, you were, you were excited. You looked up to those seniors. You knew who they were. You understood, you know, the seriousness of it. And you were kind of, you were kind of scared of them too until oh, you, sure. you figured it out, right? That's a total so, generational change. That happened in my generation. Yeah. All of a sudden, seniors were your equals. They weren't your yeah. superiors, which now playing pro and going abroad and seeing the difference between an 18-year-old kid and a 32-year-old kid, I just want to tell them, dude, shut up. You don't know anything, you guys. Dude. Yeah. You guys are <laughs> And Jackson says it the best. He always says, the smartest guy in the world is 18-year-old Jackson. <laughs> I really thought that I was convinced. Oh, I know, and, and a lot of people are, and they they get hit really quick, understanding that they they really don't know at all, and it's it's really amazing, like just how you develop 
after college and you're like, wow, there's still, I'm still not even there. And you're, you're just your game. You, and you understand yourself better, your body better. And um, there's just so much. And we're all young and kind of, kind of cocky and think we can conquer the world or know everything. But, yep. I, we, okay. Also, for anybody that's going to listen to this, don't, I'm not going to let you disparage your Penn State career. You were a three time All American. Just let the record show. So, although you say, I didn't know shit and whatever, you managed to pull off three All Americans, which is pretty good. Okay. So, I mean, I think that being humble and not feeling like you know everything helps you become that three-time All-American, you know, enables you to become a better player because it's not, you're never quite good enough. You, you feel like there's always room to grow and there's still more to learn and you push yourself to continuously be better. Right. So yeah. that's what I, you know, even, even with coaching, you know, I coached forever. I was still going to clinics. I'm still learning, you know, the great ones still learn. Russ does that. He's always listening to other coaches and, you know, you can be great, but you can still be greater. Yeah. And that's a pretty trendy thing, in my opinion, now, at least in the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years of being a learner, trying to get better, blah, blah, blah. But it's always existed as like you're saying, as a player, you were always like that. It's just kind of more of a hot button thing for players and coaches now to say, I'm a learner, I'm trying to get better. That's what my goal is. No, for sure. And I think, I think it was super intrinsic then, or at least for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And we didn't, we weren't talking about it. You were just doing and kind of like you said. And um, so now it is, it is a trendy thing to do and say, even if you're not really doing it. Totally. (laughs) For me, I always, I would just go hang out in Marv's office. That's why Mm -hmm. I started this podcast because Marv and I would hang out for two hours every day. And we just talk about all the world's problems. And I would just sit there and he'd have some story for some event that was minuscule in his life, but it was transcendental for me. I was like, this is like the coolest thing you could ever do. (laughs) But I I do remember getting in fights with him. With him? Yeah, because we wouldn't agree on things. Did you Mm -hmm. do the same thing with Russ every once in a while? Because especially for scouting reports, he would say, you know, we got to take line on this guy. And I'd sit there and I I wouldn't say anything, but he could see it. He'd say, Matt, what do you think? I said, I think that's wrong. And he said, well, I'm the coach, so we're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm just saying. When it hits 15-15 and we change it, don't come to me. (laughs) Mine was more... Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I was, I was a lot like, I I mean, I knew we were supposed to run something or this is what we needed to do in this rotation, but you know, so much was a feel too. And in the moment and I'd make a decision and it would work. And he'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, sorry, it works. You know, so the ours was more like we, we had a good, like he trusted me too. I mean, that's how I was with Micah. I mean, she was the worst. I'm like, seriously? She's like, look. And I'm like, don't you look me. I know this. You are me right now. And then we'd laugh, but I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Go ahead. <laughs> I remember talking to, I talked to Leash about this and she mm-hmm. said in every rotation, she yeah. ran something different so mm-hmm. that if you were to scout against her, yeah. You would see everything that could possibly happen. And so there was yes. never ever a strategy an opponent could have against her, which is genius. Well, is that all leash or was that you too? Well, so here's the thing that I, I have to preface this with. We were fortunate enough to have a team that could, you could run anything you wanted at any time and yeah. set anybody mm. and it will work. So that's not normal, right? That's true. So there were ga- there were matches where I'm like, let's just set, let's just set something like for 10 points. 
like, let's just see, let's see what we can get with this. Or, I mean, not really messing with people. And I don't mean that that way, but we, we had the luxury to do that. And we were always thinking about what did people see? What do they have on us? What are they going to be doing? How are they going to defend us in every rotation? Um, so, so it was a combination of all of it. She has a brilliant brain. You know, she's a coach's da- daughter. Yeah. So coaching her was like really being with another coach. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we would discuss uh, offense. We would go over, we watch film and it would, it wouldn't be a this. She would either already be on the same page and then she would say, what about X? You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think too, when you build a relationship with a coach as well, that's been your offensive mind or helped you build yep. your offensive mind and cultivate it. Yeah. Then if you make a decision and they don't agree with it, they'll figure out a reason to agree with it or they'll just come ask you. You know what I mean? For sure. They'll, For sure. they'll give you the perspective. But when you're young and you walk in and you start making decisions, and you can't fend for yourself on why you're doing it, even though they're all right, then <laughs> the coach is still going to get in your grill. Because when you make the wrong one and you can't decide, you don't know why, then you're going to hear it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that is dead on. I mean, I, I agree with that completely. Because I, I did some of that my freshman year, and then that got squashed, and I'm like, forget it. And then at, as I got better and smarter and, and developed that, yeah, for sure. And, and, and some people, it's really interesting. Setters are all so different and how they see the game and what makes sense to them or doesn't, um, how they interpret information. Right. So you gotta be super careful too, and how you're, how you're delivering that information and what resonates. Right. Cause you could, you can overload people and they don't, and they're completely lost. And, um, so Yeah. Then it's fun though. It's fun figuring out how people learn and, and what what makes sense to them. 100%. I'm all in with you on that one. It's it's really easy to overload a kid. Oh, yeah. It's the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. You would rather a kid be bored than frustrated in my book. For me, whenever I see a kid or I'm in a gym, because I spend a lot of, not a lot of time, but whenever I go home, because the UW's right there. I'll go down and just sit in and watch practice and watch the setters or whatever it is. And sometimes I can see them when they get frustrated because they've just been hearing it for the uh-huh. last 20 minutes. And sometimes <laughs> I can see when they're bored and they want somebody to tell them something. And it's such a hard balance, not to throw Keegan under the bus. Keegan, you're the man. But <laughs> it's, it's, really on, hard. it's super hard when you're not a setter to understand what's going on out there. Yeah. You know, because you can read all the books, study all the film, but there is a, there's a feel when you say, I don't care if they're going to send three guys. This is this, no matter what, this is the right choice. (laughs) (laughs) That moment where everybody in the gym knows it's going to happen, but screw it. (laughs) There's a reason. (laughs) No, absolutely. And I, I think that, that feel that's what I was talking about with Micah that's what, for myself you know just when when you know I, I mean you know by by look or a vibe or like you know your teammates too and how they're playing how they're ramping up how the look on their face you know I, I don't know if you guys saw that championship match you know whatever it was eight and Nick Fawcett just looks at Alicia and I can't even tell you I can't say it on the podcast what she said and she's like <laughs> pointing at her and basically give me this ball right now and it was like everyone in the gym knew who was going to. all good and i was like if she doesn't set her i'm gonna kill her because <laughs> nick is gonna take someone's head off right now <laughs> it was right after a bad call it was awesome <laughs> it was so great <laughs> that's legit that so sick. you know what the most frustrating thing i don't know how you guys feel about this the most frustrating thing as a setter isn't when somebody has the drop on me. That's fine. Cause I can always readapt and create a yep. new game plan, but it's when you start second guessing yourself. That yep. is when you know what the right choice is, but because you think your teammates 
need something, then you do something yep. different instead of that's something that I've thought of a lot now that I'm getting older is just go with your gut. It's what got you here. Yeah. Sometimes no. you don't have to explain why you're doing it. You've been doing it for X amount of years. Just keep doing it. it it's so true. I mean, I, I think there's so much to be said for that because I, I've done that. We, I, we all have done that as centers. Yeah. I think Penn State, something, there's something about Penn State kids, though. You guys are really good at training it. And I don't know if you guys, I don't know how you guys train it, but those generations that had a lot of success, one, they were fearless, but two, yeah. they had this insane amount of confidence and they just believed in what they were doing. So they never second guess themselves. Yeah. I, it, yeah. I mean, I think again, that comes from the top, right? So yeah. Russ was one of those coaches. He's going to push you to push yourself and have this constant level of yes we are so sick good but yeah yeah no you're not really that good like actually you come to the gym he, he he likes to put stats above the water cooler every day and highlight good bad ugly otherwise and um so you're always kind of put back in your place and yeah. but but you you know I, I think the thing that you're saying like first of all you know you're and I'm going to just say this because I believe it. You're the hardest working, you know, gym. You're in the gym going, we're going to grind. We're going to work harder than anybody. So we know right now that that nothing's guaranteed. And that's what he would always say. Winning isn't guaranteed. But man, putting working as hard as you possibly can and putting in the work is going to give you a much better shot at, at winning. And so I think so, so much about how drills were run. It was about battling. It was about competing against each other. It was less about coach-centered, talking, stopping. It was like every man out for himself, <laughs> go for it, and you're dying. But, I, you know, some of the things I love, the drills we would do, winners get to stay. Yeah. You know, it's not like, it's like, I'm not leaving this court. Like, I don't care if I'm on here for an hour. Like, so, Black I don't know. I, what's that? Like blacktop rules, winter stays. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Did that that must have prepared you really well for again to not disparage your volleyball career. The national team. That national not okay. National team is never easy. It's like an absurd amount of sacrifice that you have to give. Right. Just to be mentioned. Right. But for you in your preparation at Penn State and going through that grind with Russ and your teammates, was it easier to go into that gym and just be able to compete at a really high level every day? Cause you were used to it. Yes. Yes. But I, you know, because I was thrown in, I would say to the setting position pretty late, not super trained early. Right. I had a lot of things that, I think all of that stuff we're talking about at Penn State got me there way more than my actual setting, if that makes sense. For sure. I mean, it was, I wasn't the most technical, wasn't the most, you know, I just got it done and I love to win. So all of that stuff got me to where I was and got me to the national team. Yeah. I, you know, when I, when I first got there, I was behind literally all of my, heroes that had played three and four Olympics, you know, and Tara and, um, you know, Karen Kemner. I played with Karen Kemner. Like, who does that? <laughs> who plays with, who plays with Karen Kemner? I did. And she was awesome. <laughs> Paula, Paula Weissoff, like all the names. I mean, that was like 84. They were playing in 81. Yeah. Like it was nuts. And it was 96, 95 when I joined the national team. So it was, it was, it was intimidating. Um, I do remember, this is a funny story. I think you guys will appreciate the, one of the first, I first got there and, uh, Karen had just come from overseas. I think Paula had as well. And a couple other players and the team was going on a tour. So I wasn't going to make that trip. And, you know, Terry's like, okay, we're all lined up and this is what we're doing. And Lima, you're going to stay here with Karen and Paula and whatever. Sick. 
I was in full panic mode. So <laughs> hey, I go to I go I go I go to a payphone, right? Right after that, I call my brother. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, I have a month in the gym. Karen might actually kill me, but um, it was awesome. So it was us and a couple of the guys, like both teams were on tour. And for like a month, all we did was play triples in the gym, go get sushi, <laughs> hang out on Mission Beach. Like it was the greatest month of my life. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. How, how did you go from... So you've made an Olympic team in a year. Well, I was an alternate in 96. Okay. Yes. I was behind Lori Endicott and Yoko. That's that still ridiculous. That's not yeah. like, that's really quick. Unless you're, you usually unless you're the guy. Yeah. That's a really quick turnaround to even be an alternate. You're right. You're right. And I never really thought about that. So thank you. <laughs> amazing. No, really. Because you to get the nod, I mean, to get the nod is hard. Yeah. And then to be no. an alternate is not, I mean, that's a feat in and of itself. It was, it was, yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks. I don't, I don't take this very well, but I'll, I'll take it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> How many years were you with the national team? So I was there until 99. Okay. So I played for about four and change. Um, so when we moved to Colorado Springs, uh, I was there. I was one of the veterans, believe it or not. So everyone was gone right then. Um, so it was a total, if anybody remembers those years, 97, it was a total rebuilding and a bunch of us young players just trying to make it. Um, you know, for a couple of years, then, then a couple of players came back and Danny came back and Tara came back and for their 95th Olympics, <laughs> which was awesome. But, um, so right before that, and so then I was, I was not with the national team after 90, well, no, what year, what did I say? 99. 99. So I didn't play in 2000. Yeah. So you had, but you had gone to a world championship. Yeah. Gone to world championships, Montreux, BBC, like all the major international Grand Prix, all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you? Okay. Now here's where it gets tough. Not, oh, no. not to bring up the sad stuff. Ugh. So you don't make it in 96. Yep. That probably hurts, but it's more yes. of stings because you've only put yes. in a little bit of time and yes. compared to the next quad. Do you remember that conversation of when you decide, or I don't, well, I don't know how it went. I don't know if it was your decision or somebody else's decision or what happened. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was uh, not my decision. Okay. So that was a challenge. I do remember the conversation. It, didn't go well. Sure. <laughs> How am I doing? Didn't go well. Great. You're doing great. Thank you. You're doing, I appreciate I mean, that. No, because we've had other people come on and they just say, Courtney Thompson, for example, she was, I thought she was going to let loose at one point. And she held it together and pushed through it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she also, she didn't get cut. She got took as the third. Yeah. You know, Cass Lickman, the same boat. When she got cut, she didn't know what to do because she got invited back in to train the young guys. So she got cut, and then they asked her to stay. Tough. And she said, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. I mean, my, mine was a surprise. I'll just say that. Yeah. You know, it was a surprise to everyone except um, – the person that made the decision because. so yeah that was a a really hard time i can imagine i can only so after yeah. so after that happens tough time going on what's next for you well so then i was like yeah volleyball can go ahead and take itself somewhere yeah. <laughs> it's 
it's time. Uh, it's time to move on. So I was, a. Uh, I was like, I'm going to do something different and remove myself completely. So I was in pharmaceutical sales actually. Oh, wow. Totally, totally random and different. Um, wasn't planning on it. You know, I was just trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, a friend of a friend was like, Hey, you'd be awesome at this. It's pretty lucrative, you know, super. And I've always been kind of a nerd. I didn't study sciences in college or anything, but I really loved it and, um, was way into, uh, all of that stuff. So I was, and luckily had from growing up from my parents, from Russ, from Penn state, I had the confidence that I could do it. I was like, I can do this. So yeah, so that's, so I went into, into pharma for a couple of years. Um, and that was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Cause I was still able to be competitive. You know, there were <laughs> rankings that would come up every <laughs> week. <laughs> it was like, okay, where are you? And you know, and I knew how to work. I was like, I'm not going to do a lunch. I'm going to do a breakfast. Like yeah. I'm going to be there before anyone shows up and bring bagels and whatever. Like people don't do that. Like, and I'm not knocking any pharmaceutical reps. If you're listening, you know, you can, you can ride some, some nice hours sometimes in that job. But I was like, Nope, I'm showing up early. I'm going to do a grand rounds. I'm going to talk in front of a hundred attendings. I don't even care. Like ask me anything you want. So, so it, it still fueled my competitive juices in that way. Um, and it was, it was fun because when I get one-on-ones with doctors, we could talk sports. We could talk volley early and quick. I would see where they went to school on the wall, if they were big 10 or if they were Ivy and we'd get into it. And then I'm like, and then I could do my thing. So, so that was a, that was a good time. I had a good team and worked for a great company. So. And then what, what uh, brought you back to volley after that? If you were having such a good time, you know, really actually by chance. Um, and so I was working in DC, Maryland area uh, for Beringer, Ingelheim, and I was actually selling selling one of my drugs. <laughs> selling one of my one of my drugs was for <laughs> sorry, <laughs> uh, was for uh, an enlarged prostate. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this, so hang in there. Um, so you know, I know all the ins and outs. I know everything about it, all the everything. And uh, one day, my dad calls me. Dad's super fit, super you know, everything works out every day, hits the punching bag, whatever. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. You know, my back hurts, my hip hurts, my ribs hurt. Send me to a chiropractor. And I, in my head, immediately went to my job because when you have prostate cancer, it attacks what they call the bony skeleton. So the pelvic, the ribs, the back, um, all the places he talked about and we we just at some point i i was like have you had your psa levels checked like he's like what are you talking about like you know old school doesn't go to the doctor doesn't anything so anyway long story i was the i'm the youngest of four kids i was the only one single and available at the time to move home um so he got really sick really fast uh because he had had it for probably a very long time, probably seven or eight years. So it happened pretty quickly. Um, so I moved home to Pittsburgh to be with my mom, help her take care of my dad, my dad. And, um, during that time, and he always told me I was going to coach. And this is kind of like the basketball thing. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not, not doing it. No. So, I mean, almost literally on his, he was at home and in, you know, in, in a hospital bed in the house. Yeah. And, um, I got a call from Chris Bierman at Pitt. And he was like, my assistant moved. I heard you're in Pittsburgh, not doing anything. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Um, <laughs> so I got the call and my dad was like, uh-huh. <laughs> so like, I hate you. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be with my mom, no matter what happens with my dad uh, for a little while, at least. And so I accepted the job and I uh, told my dad and he was he won. <laughs> so yeah, he was in your face. <laughs> and really that's how it happened. I just kind of was like, I fell into it. Sure. I'll do it. And then I've been coaching ever since I was coaching ever since. Thank, thank you for sharing. My, uh, my dad also had prostate cancer. So 
not that I know your experience, but I, I can relate to it a little bit. Yeah. 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 So sure. And then, so your coaching career started right where you grew up. I did. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. I was at, at Pitt with Beerman for two, two seasons. Um, I, yeah, I love that guy. He is an absolute monster competitor, uh, lunatic. Uh, and, uh, so we got along great. And, um, yeah, so it started there and I actually, I took a, a year again, went, went back to pharma for a minute. That's another story. I met my husband. We could talk forever about my story. It's crazy. So then after I had my first child, um, Terry Laskevich called me and was like, Hey, I'm getting back into college coaching. Cause he was my national team coach and the original one. And, um, he was going to be at Oregon state. I was realizing quickly that I'm not a stay at home mom. Um, that, <laughs> that was not my, my life. Yeah, yeah. So I said to my husband, I'm like, what if we move to Oregon? <laughs> it's like, what? And we, we went to Oregon state from there and then Penn state, Texas, Penn state. Yeah. So what's interesting about this is we were talking about learning earlier and that's kind of what got your Penn State teams and you to be really successful. Yep. Sounds like if a coach isn't willing to do that and evolve and do different things, that can put that team in a different, in a limited capacity, I guess. I would agree. I mean, I think you have to take some risks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think some people aren't willing to, aren't patient enough to see how it plays out. And it's a scary thought to say, what, like, what if it doesn't work? And Russ wasn't like that. He was like, just make it work, change it. I don't care. I don't actually care how you pass, get the ball to the target. Yeah. I don't care what hip, I don't care what, you know what I mean? I'm not the, not completely, but you know, just, yeah. and, and risk, risk taking really, uh, there's some of that, but there's also analyzing the game right really deeply what's that the calculated risk calculated risk right and knowing but knowing like we knew so much like scouting reports at penn state i mean crazy we all had to do one with all the coaches we would we would do one we all put it together there was so much information just just to be able to i mean really at that level you have to squeeze points right Mm because everyone's really good and it's like, hey, how are we going to beat Nebraska? What are those two or three points? What's going to make the difference here? And those are some of those calculated risks. All right. In this rotation, we're definitely doing X because of this. And I think um, that was a super high level. And that allowed your setters to. And I, I'm big on understanding conceptually. Hey, look, this is what's going on. This is why. So you can create within this. Yeah. And, and creative freedom is huge for a setter. I'm deep on the why. I always, whenever I scouted or still, I try to understand why blockers do something. Mm -hmm. Not just they do this in this situation. Why? What do they see that I'm not seeing or that you're not seeing? Exactly. Exactly. Then it's over. Then we know. Yep. Krista Harmata would ask, I I did it once for her and it was a huge mistake. I gave her this. I would always say, what, what would they do? You know, the, you know, what would Minnesota do? What would, for her, like we would break down sky reports. We'd have our own, we'd go over film with the middles, whatever, but I'd put together this little thing on just her and she loved it. She's like, where's my, where's my, what would they do? <laughs> you know, cause she's just like a salivating bulldog, just ready to get out there. But it was, it was always so fun to her to know Oh, they think I'm going to do this. And they, and they do this because I do this. And okay, so I'm going to do this. And I'm like, woo! But she always wanted it. And it, didn't. it was awesome. It was kind of awesome. That's yeah. cool to have kids like that that oh. are so motivated. I mean, that makes your job a lot easier too when they want it and you're not having to get them to come to your office or buy in or whatever it is. That's the greatest. And we, we had a bunch of them at least in that era i mean even when i went back it was still the same you know where people just they just want information more information what 
which is cool. And I, I would try to help, like I said, kind of you, when we talked about being overloaded, you know, there's a lot of stuff, and especially with the stats now and volumetrics and data volley and all the, the stuff you can glean, like for them, that's way too much, but the making it make sense. Like that was fun. That was fun for me. Cause then, um, they would go in with a good handle on what's going on. Yeah. Anyway. Do you miss it? Yeah. 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 I miss, I miss a lot of it. I miss the competition. I miss coaching. I don't miss <laughs> the rest. I don't miss traveling every weekend, recruiting yeah. and being gone and all the 70% of your actual job. You so know. What exactly are you the director of Austin Juniors now? No. What are you? Great question. No, I'm, yeah, I'm kidding. You, want. <laughs> you guys are listening. <laughs> I'm kidding. I am an associate director. So I pretty much, well, I came in first. We were like, let's do some technical and training for the coaches. So I was doing some breakout sessions and meeting with them. Like let's streamline. You're coaching once, the coaches. Yeah. Because once the club, club gets so big, you have so many coaches and you can't, everyone's teaching different things and what they believe is right. And they're good coaches, but you suddenly have setters going from 13 to 14s and everything's different in 15s and 16s. And they're like, you know, it, that's hard. So that was, that was part of it. Um, and then uh, I do a lot of the kind of behind the scenes stuff with helping with anything, major decisions and the meetings, you know, with whatever's going on tournament wise. I'm also running the boys side right now. Oh, so, mm-hmm, which is awesome. Yeah. Boys volleyball is great. I actually, I remember cause Maddie bug and I were coaching a team and we, I think she ran into you in Dallas mm-hmm. and she said, what are you doing here? And you said, boys volleyball, Austin, Peters, <laughs> come watch. <laughs> so ridiculous i know oh my gosh how is good seeing maddie oh anyway whatever so yeah it's it's pretty it's good it's great uh kathy and glenn linsky are the most amazing humans ever and they're awesome and they have provided this opportunity for me well i'm you know i'm doing that and i'm able to do tv right so that's that was huge for me to still be able to do matches in the fall um, now spring. So now I'm about to, my head is about to, <laughs> it's, I'm a little busy as you guys couldn't tell with, yeah. <laughs> with, with trying to arrange this. I apologize for that. Well, tell Chase McKenzie. I said, hi, I haven't talked to him in forever. Your coaches. I will do that. I will do that. Chase is amazing. I love him. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's good, he, he is great. Well, Salima, I think we're good here. Yes. I mean, you have stuff you have to do the rest of your day, so we don't want to take too much of your time. Well, I, I don't, I'd get back on. This is fun. I love this. I love <laughs> yeah, talking volley. I do. love to have you back on. We, I, yeah, I'd love to pick your brain about a bunch of stuff. I told you. Yeah, but- I said it. People get on, and then they have to go, and they say, well, I don't know why I'm doing this or whatever. <laughs> Well, no, I, and I figured it would be long. I didn't know. So it's 15 minutes. I have 15 minutes. Thank you to prep for my interview. So, so I've been interviewing players in the league. So Kevin and I have been getting all the pro league players on just to kind of get more information from them, have some good fun stuff to talk about during the matches, but there's a lot of them. So (laughs) it's a lot. Is this Kevin Barney? Yeah, he's awesome. to get on the show. He would be riddled no. with stories. <laughs> Why do you think I've never been on the net live? I'm terrified. That's yeah. my boy, but no way. <laughs> oh man. No, he'd be great. He'd be great. Yeah, I'm excited. Like we we we're so stoked to be able to do this. We're calling all the matches together and cool. we've got Yeah, so it's it's going to be it's going to be fun and they're super innovative. They want us to do different stuff and cool stuff and, you know, not just stiff, normal commentating. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be really cool. 
Do you like the concept of the league with the fantasy idea and everything that's going on? I do. I actually, I do. At first, I was a little like a different team every week is going to be weird. And it still is. But I I mean, they know what they're doing. And they're like, look, people like to follow people. And they're they're less, not less about teams, but with social media, they're more about people. And it's, the concept is cool. It's been fun talking to all the players and asking them, you know, what would you do right now? Like, what's, who would you pick? If you had to choose tomorrow, who's your number one draft pick and why? Like, those are fun questions and just knowing the scoring. And most people pick the same person. You know what? It depends on who it is. I mean, so, I mean, you're getting Shayla Castro a lot. I mean, I, who would you pick? I mean, it would be, well, it would. Uh, <laughs> so it's close, though. It's it's between her, Sheila, and Jordan. Yeah. I mean, because you you score for passing, you score big points for kills and blocks, right? But most of your points, I think about seventy percent. I should probably learn this. I I know it. Um, come from team wins, right? So it's like, okay, I need an arm. I'll take a three-time gold medalist. I mean, there you go. So, I I mean, yeah, Jordan and then, I mean, dream team. Yeah, Shayla and then, you know, I put it all together, but you only get one at a time. So, yeah, it depends. Some people have said setters and it's been hilarious because we get on these calls and Barney thinks he's so funny and cool when someone doesn't say a setter because I'm like, I'm over it. It's fine. (laughs) He's like, see, see. (laughs) shut up <laughs> yeah that'll happen again in 10 minutes from now no it's good that's good but i i really appreciate being on you guys this is awesome yeah. you are very welcome we are more than happy to have you on. absolutely thanks for taking thanks. the time